0: everyone to Flyover Footy. We are a podcast that focuses on our hometown St. Louis City SC, but also flyover country and soccer in St. Louis. Today we bring you the final flyover fallout of the year. Started earlier this year as a second weekly episode for ourselves to give everybody a little bit more freedom for us to deep dive into some previous St. Louis City SC matches. I'm joined as always by Santiago Beltran to talk about the final match of the year for the team that... Finished the regular season 17, 12, and 5 with 56 points. Good for the second most by an expansion team in MLS history, excluding the shootout era. A team that set the record for the most wins by an expansion team in MLS history with 17. A team that became the first expansion team in MLS history to win their conference in their inaugural season. A team that joined Atlanta United, LAFC, and the Chicago Fire as the only expansion teams to score 60 or more points in their debut seasons. They produce 16 different players getting on the score sheet in MLS play, tying Charlotte FC for the most different goal scores for an expansion team in MLS history. We're here to talk about our St. Louis City SC. Nsanti, we had to start the pod off with positives. That's my MO. I always like to bring that whenever possible, even on this one of the darkest days that we've experienced as St. Louis City SC (laughs) fans. It's been a heck of a ride so far for us here on Fallout, but... How you doing and how are you feeling after this one?
1: Doing great, Matt. Doing great. Um yeah, obviously still thinking about yesterday what could have been and some of those chances had gone in. If maybe um Sporting KC had not scored uh, at the end of the first half, but but happy, happy that the team uh, had so many Accomplishments, obviously, with all of those accomplishments, uh, expectations uh, go higher, and people are expecting to advance in playoffs. But um, I have been uh, I have been following soccer for a long time, and I always tell friends that um, it's it's a cycle, and sometimes you go through uh, some really good things and the highs, and after that, you may go through uh the lows and maybe this year we were high all the time and now with this early elimination in the playoffs now we're experiencing the the lows but um but no you have to to stay positive and a lot of accomplishments uh the team uh, will be in an international tournament next year and the team can build from uh this season this was the first season for a lot of players in MLS, first season as a coach for Bradley Carnell. So um, those things will keep, um, like, they will keep learning and apply what they learned from this season to uh, fo- next year and following years and, and going forward. But it's a process. It's a process. And, um, like, yeah, next year the team uh, will come back stronger and um, we will start the cycle again. I think that's the hardest thing that
0: everybody's dealing with right now is the recalibration of some of those expectations. When you do so well to start the year, you continue throughout the year holding first place for all but about six weeks, and then you get into playoff mode, you're the number one seed, and you go up against a team that you've now faced five times in one year, four times in two months, and a rival at that, that it, it's truly become heated, and now you're dealing with the fallout. Like our, I, our show is unfortunately named in that regard because it, it really is the fallout now. And we're, we're left dealing with kind of picking up the pieces of our expectations in a certain way. And I, I did want to start the show off with a very positive note. I wanted to get all of that out in front to remind people just what this club has done, achieved, and been through this entire year. And we've had some really, really bright spots and bright, long moments this season. Even though we're not talking about that necessarily today with what happened this weekend against sporting, um, there, there are a a metric ton of things to build off of going forward. And we're going to get to all of that on our next flyover footy this coming week on Thursday, when we normally stream, we're going to deep dive into the full regular season. But today we're kind of looking back at that final game to see what went right, what went wrong and how we, how we capped off our season. And like we always do, Santi, let's look at the starting 11 that did that. We ran out Roman Berkey and Ned again. Kyle Hebert made a return. Tim Parker, Josh Arrow, Akil Watts made up our back line. Jaboulou Blom, Indiana Vasilev, Edu Leuven, and Jared Stroud made up our midfield. Sam Adeniran and Klaus up top. According to FB Ref, this was the return of the Diamond for the first time since Orlando City on August 26th, the Diamond midfield, with Edu Leuven playing the ten. And the two big things that I think were discussed on here, possibly three if you count the return of Sam also, but this back line, this back line that had been 6-0-0 so far during the regular season, Edu Luvin's return to the number 10 and then Sam and Enron returning to the lineup. So what did you make of this when you first saw it?
1: I was excited about the Diamond midfield. Um, I know you mentioned it was uh, since August, but yeah, I was like, oh, it's been a while since this happened, and it had uh, worked before, and uh, that gave uh, Ed Oluven more freedom to be uh, on the attacking end. So I was excited about that. But uh, I was, even with the 6-0 and 0 record, I was uh, surprised by uh, the multiple changes in the back line. I was expecting some changes, and we have talked uh, in the previous podcast, like um, one of the times the team went on a losing streak, and... Um, play San Jose, made wholesale changes, and things worked out. Uh, So this time around, also a lot of changes, uh, starting with the back line. So I was optimistic, was surprised that AC Jackson wasn't in the lineup. Um, When we we made our predictions, um, we still have him playing, and we have Edu more like as a number eight with more uh, offensive responsibilities. But it looked like a competitive lineup to me. Having the uh, two up front um, was also good. Um, so I, I thought it was a competitive lineup for that decisive uh, game.
0: And the the thing that we really looked for out of this lineup, I remember, is the ability to stretch the field. And Indiana Vasilev spoke to this before the game, the idea of getting in behind the defense, stretching the field uh, more vertically. And what we ended up seeing from this was that but in the second half. And it was it was kind of interesting to watch the development of this game in in a few of the facets, looking at the desire of St. Louis City to not possess the ball, looking at the ability of St. Louis City to stretch the field, provide some long balls, some service to Sam and Klaus, have them hold up play, and then and then have Edu Leuven as your number 10 playmaking higher up the field with less defensive responsibilities. Those are a lot of the things that from this lineup we were carrying in. And At the beginning of the match, what we saw was, you know, some of that. Looking at the possession, it definitely skewed towards SKC in the beginning. But if you look at the momentum, and they mentioned this on the broadcast, if you look at the momentum throughout the game, you started to see St. Louis City came on very strong. They started the matchup very well. They had multiple opportunities, especially creating set-piece opportunities, Mm -hmm. both in, in play and off corners in the first 10 minutes or so. But then SKC kind of just took control of the ball. And and they did it in a few different ways because if you look at some of the stats behind the scenes, you're looking at almost um, an amalgamation of last week against St. Louis, but also a typical sporting style, including how they scored one of their goals. Their long passes that we looked at last week, where St. Louis City usually dominates long passes in a game. Last week, SKC was right there. That was the same kind of story for this game, where long passes of over 30 yards, St. Louis was 41 of 96, SKC was 45 of 94. So they they progressed the ball in this manner as much as St. Louis for the duration of the game. Both teams were also pretty even in short and medium passes. St. Louis passed the ball an awful lot, especially in the second half. Completed passes into the penalty box for this game, St. Louis had nine, SKC had eight. We were getting the ball where it needed to be Over the course of the full 90, you saw Edu Leuven not have to carry the ball as much. Although last game he did, he didn't carry the ball well either this game. He wasn't necessarily tasked to do that. If you compare what he did this game to what AZ did last game, AZ was one of the lowest carrying carriers of the game last week with 16 Leuven while more than that with 22, he still didn't carry the ball near as much as he usually does in the mid thirties or so. Completed passes in this game, you look at Kyle Hebert actually leading the team, moving the ball out of that left-back position. He had 40 completed passes in this game. And Akil Watts, who we expected to be one of the more integral parts to move the ball up the field and get higher and impact the game, had the third lowest number of completed passes of the starters with just 17. Jared Stroud had 10, uh, and Sam Adeneron had had 7. So those were the two lower than Akil Watts. It was kind of kind of jarring a little bit to see him not as involved in the offense and progressing the ball up. You saw more of the game being played down the left side yeah. with Indiana Vasilev, Kyle Hebert. And then it kind of just didn't make it as far down the field. I felt that Sam was involved early a few times, but then it just his involvement dissipated quickly.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that was one of the reasons for um the substitution up. The forty-six minute, mm-hmm. uh, and yeah, when Celio came, it was um, most of the attacks were through the left side, um, so it makes sense that Akil uh, only had seventeen. Um, most of those, probably during the first half. Mm-hmm. Second half, um, it was mostly through that left side with with Celio, who I think had a, a great game, and uh, it just leaves me thinking: uh, I have him on my starting lineup, but. Could have been if maybe he had been involved <laughs> earlier, but uh, we we will never know. Like you can change multiple things around, and um, could could be the same result. But uh, I I, yeah. I really like what I saw from him on the second half. And it was a necessary sub because in the first half, outside of the first
0: few minutes that I mentioned, the momentum that we had wasn't created by progressing the ball and creating chances in open play from Sam and Deneron. the momentum was created by some of those, those closed shot opportunities, set pieces. We had two early set pieces. We had two early corners in the first eight minutes. There's a lot of opportunities, even though there weren't very many shots. We in fact only had two shots in the first 8 minutes from Eddie Leuven and from Tim Parker neither one of them were on goal. After that it seemed like Sam tried to stretch the field a little bit but he didn't really make any involvement. He didn't have but two completed passes or seven completed passes lowest on the team the entire game. And then after that it kind of once SKC had their first shot around the 18 minute mark it really kind of seemed to shift over towards that change. Yeah. Yeah, and and the the thing that I noticed is to me, that first shot, uh, Gotti Kinda's 18 minute shot, and his subsequent 28th minute shot really seemed like they were trying some of the same things that they did last week. Where we were seeing from St. Louis a lot of sound defensive work in the channels and in the wings. We were we were putting putting bodies on the players who were trying to make these inward cuts, like Daniel Shallowy with his usual cut centrally, trying to create space quickly. I thought we were doing a pretty good job defensively of managing that. And then the opportunities came pretty quick and heavy for sporting where they had shots at 18, 28, 30, 31, 37, 41. I mean, it was two of them were on goal, but they were pretty consistently controlling the ball so much so that by the end of the half, they were up to around, I think it was 61% possession and it didn't start off like that.
1: Yeah, it was 61% because I remember talking about it at halftime and then at the end of the game when i saw a final possession i was like wow it went from sporting Shit at didn't. 61 to uh sporting ended. i think it was 51 49 is what it ended um yeah yeah so i was like wow it really shifted on on the second half but but yeah like uh we had talked about those first 15 20 minutes being key and um hopefully finding a goal that could uh change uh, the game but after after that period, still a scoreless, and and that's where uh, Sporting KC like open up a little bit more and starting uh, playing those long balls and created chances. And uh, I was actually thinking, okay, um, we go to the half scoreless, and and then maybe uh, Bradley and his coaching staff will make some substitutions. And hey, it's a good result considering all the. Uh, all the options that Sporting KC is creating. But obviously that didn't go the way I thought about. It was so close to happening though, because stoppage
0: happened. You had a dead ball and all you needed to do is kind of run the clock out a little bit, have one defensive stop, and then you're into half scoreless. And you can make those changes. You can make those modifications on a very different playing field. But as it ended up happening... 45 plus one, you get a throw in near midfield from Sporting. Sporting Kansas City progressed the ball quickly through their center backs to the opposite side of the field. They did a switch very, very quickly moving the ball over. They got the ball to Gotti of up to Logan and Dembe, high up on their left wing as they're progressing it down their left side, opposite from where the throw in was. Things happen very quickly here. So I'm going to try to paint the picture. You can look at it on the replay. As in moved high up on the left wing, uh, Watts was taking him on 1v1. Adembe pulled it back to Gaudi Kinda. Kinda played it quickly up to Daniel Shalloway in the exact same space that Adembe was occupying. Adembe was cutting in deeper to the left channel, moving towards goal as Shalloway had this. Shalloway had the ball. Jared Stroud was watching Gaudi Kinda on the wing. Akil Watts and Josh Yarrow moved on to Daniel Shalloway out wide. Shalloway finds a helping Alan Polito moving into that left channel with Tim Parker shadowing him. So now you have Parker Watts and Yarrow all pulled in over there as everyone's pulling towards Alan Polito. You have, you have Daniel Shalloway running down the end line to draw folks away even further. And then you have Logan and Dembe who's moving towards the middle of the field. Jabulu Blom is clearly watching him. It's his responsibility mm-hmm. to guard and Dembe. And then as Polito has the ball, Blome turns to face Polito, and mm-hmm. then Ndembe moves behind Blome into space where Polito finds him. And at that point, you can freeze frame it. There is nothing but space between Ndembe and Berkey. And Ndembe takes a moment to gather himself. He gets the shot off, and it beats Berkey to his left, with Indiana Vasilev being the only person even close to Ndembe. And his responsibility was pretty clearly to guard the far side to make sure there wasn't a switch or a long ball played for an easy cross. So SKC goes up one, nothing and a half.
1: It's crazy. Logan and had not scored any goals in his professional career before last Sunday. And yeah, then uh, one last Sunday, one yesterday and uh, important goals uh, oh, yeah. to, to open, to open up the scoring for, for his team and, just two goals uh but yeah great moves by him and and yeah uh it's just a split second that um Blom turned to uh Pulido and Pulido found the space and then after that uh, it was um not much uh city could do but uh but yeah almost got to have a scoreless but uh uh it's just um uh, i think that changes a lot uh emotionally yeah. if you go to have scoreless especially after Sporting dominating for 15, 20 minutes uh, compared to going one nothing in the last play of the half um, kind of sucks.
0: What's your opinion of, of Blome's kind of look back at Polito? Because I was seeing flashbacks to multiple times this year where you're seeing, I, I remember the fourth goal last week, Edu Luvin looking off of Shalloui, Shalloui slipping in behind him. You're seeing not necessarily ball watching in general, but almost a lack of a lack of trust in other players to have their one V one responsibilities completed successfully. So I don't know if he was seeing Alan Polito being guarded by Tim Parker and thinking he wanted to take away, or he wanted to try and possibly get the ball away from Polito, even though Parker had the, the angle blocked off between Polito and goal. But either way, this, this seems like it happens fairly regularly against a team like this, where, The 1v1s aren't enough, and St. Louis is almost intrinsically thinking we need to get a second player on this defensively, and then it puts pressure on every single other player on the field to to mark a player that's suddenly left to his own devices. And and it doesn't typically work out, and I'm, I'm struggling. I think of all the things that I've seen St. Louis do defensively as far as allowing goals, this is the thing I'm struggling to understand is how this can keep happening, where you're having the ball played quickly you're you're almost refusing to to get into a low block scenario when this occurs and put numbers in the box you're trying to just come out and play two v ones everywhere on the field, which is just consistently leaving these fast players open to get in behind you
1: yeah it is uh, I see it as a it's like a split second decision like uh, do I continue following Endembe or do I try to uh, to take Pulido, Pulido's... uh play out. And, uh, yeah, it, it made me think about Endembe's first goal last week that, uh, there were like five, six players around him and not, not, about not around him, but around Pulido. And then they yeah. had all that space and same thing, uh, Blom turn and, uh, Pulido, uh, his, his awareness, uh, that's one of the qualities, uh, he has, he creates a space and, uh, field awareness and, he saw uh, the open space and uh, passed it to Ndembé, and um, the rest was history. But but yeah, I think it's a split-second decisions. But uh, as you were saying, maybe uh, just think more about uh, trusting your teammates and uh, staying with with your assignment. Because if you don't get uh, to that other player, uh, then uh, you're gonna leave a player unmarked, and that's what happened. So a a defensive miscue and an unfortunate going into the half because
0: up until that point, the stats kind of show that while St. Louis wasn't producing anything offensively, the game was being played more akin to something they're used to. First half, we had 39% possession for St. Louis. There's only a 0.07 expected goals to SKC's 0.4. That includes three shots with none on target by St. Louis, seven shots with three on target from SKC, and on the goal, on that goal we just got done talking about, there was a 0.08 expected goals, but a 0.41 post-shot expected goals. And the post-shot expected goals is a fun stat. It's based on how likely the goalkeeper is to save the mm, shot. These okay. are only only on shots on target, and it's it's how likely is the goalkeeper is to stop this. That's why just about every single time you see this, the XG might be significantly low, but the PSXG, post-shot expected goals, is going to be a lot higher. In fact, when we talk about these next two goals in the second half, Daniel Shallowy, spoiler alert, has a 0.94 PSXG for the shot that he had. But getting a little bit ahead of ourselves here, the second half changed a lot, Santi, not just from a possession perspective, but when you bring in Salio Pompeu in at half, the 46th minute for Sam Adeneron, you're not only taking out Sam who had been ineffective for a huge portion of the first half, but you're changing the entire style of how you're progressing the ball up. And Bradley Carnell said this after the game that there was an intentionality between the different styles of subbing in Salio for Sam. And it relates to how you're progressing the ball up. You're not getting any service into Sam in that first half. There's nothing that's progressing the ball up over the top that's allowing him to be any part of the offense. So you bring in a guy like Salio Pompeu, who is the best dribbler per 90 in MLS. He doesn't have very many minutes compared to a lot of these other top tier players. But if you need a guy to progress the ball up the field with the ball at his feet, Salio is the player to do that. And it seemed from every single stat that you look at, from possession, from shots, from chance creations, that he did his job, and he did his job pretty well in the in the second half. And I'm not even talking about the goal that he scores later on, but the opportunities that he creates. Because we're talking pretty quickly, here in the 58th minute, his cross to Klaus had the highest PSXG chance on Klaus's header. This was our, our highest... PSXG that we had in the entire game 0.42 was on Klaus's header in the 58th minute and so putting that shot on goal was our best chance at a single goal you had another opportunity that Salio created with the ball on the floor crossing it to Klaus that was just out of his reach past Tim Melia and then you had a sub that comes in 65 Nico for Stroud that further changes things moves some players around the field, shifts up how we're how we're approaching things, where you I saw Nico as kind of an underneath second striker, almost a right winger up next to Klaus. I think they called him a second striker on the broadcast. And then you you have Indiana Vasilev move over a little to the right side. You drop Leuven back a little bit to the left, maybe still playing his 10, maybe a dual 10 between Luven and Vasilev, but you're getting a lot of a lot of guys skilled with the ball at their feet. You're giving a probably your best shot at at converting something with a lot of successful goal scorers that can move the ball up in different ways. You just weren't able to materialize much of it because in that, in that span between the 65 minute sub and the goal, the Shallowy scores at 73, you only have one shot and that's Indiana Vasilev or you have, I'm sorry, you have uh, two shots, Indiana Vasilev at 67 and Salio Pompeo at 72, both blocked. So th- there's, There's chances getting created a couple in this opportunity but you're not clearing space in for anything to find net and then the dagger happens at 73 so before that dagger did you feel did you feel like there was a a change in the stadium because you were there you were calling it did you feel like there was a dagger or some kind of um a difference in the air in the second half for city
1: yeah for sure um with celu coming in um everything changed and And yeah, like the fans were loud like the whole time, the the City fans that that were there. But but yeah, like I I felt like, okay, things are uh, turning around and it's going to be a matter of minutes uh, before the team finds a goal. And then with Nico coming, you had all all that volume. And to me, it was like, okay, this is going to be one of those uh, where uh, City gets the equalizer or um, since City has so many people uh, attacking and and pushing for for that equalizer, um, Sporting is going to find a, a counterattack, uh, have a good transition, and score that second goal. That in the end, it was it was the dagger for for City.
0: The dagger comes in the seventy third minute. Daniel Shallowy is the one who is the goal scorer, but he basically just cleaned up uh, what occurred before him. Um, the The ball, the, the play progressed with Saint Louis. Pressuring. I mean, St. Louis continued their chance creations with an Eddie Leuven cross from the le- our left side, followed by a Josh Yarrow header to keep the ball in the attacking half. SKC won a 50-50 ball with balls on the ground bouncing around for a few times. It went between Alan Polito, Johnny Russell, Jabulu Blom, Eddie Leuven, all fighting for it at midfield, about halfway in the attacking third for St. Louis. And the ball just falls to Johnny Russell. And he starts sprinting past Edu Leuven, Jaboulu with the ball. There's no City player to his outside. There's only Remy Walter near him. Josh Yarrow is the one in front of him to meet him in open space in SKC's attacking third. But Johnny Russell is able to slip the ball outside and past Josh Yarrow, almost an outside through ball, to Kinda, who's running parallel centrally, picks up the ball. He's basically on his own. Akil Watts is the only player back as Blum and Leuven are trailing him the entire time. With Akil Watts the only man back, he's clearly guarding Daniel Shallowy on the far side, but with no other option, he has to step up and try to try to block Gotti Kinda. And when Kinda sees Akil Watts move towards him, he slides it past Berkey to Shallowy, who has basically an empty net. Like I said earlier, a 0.94 post shot expected goals, which you can hardly get higher than that. It was a layup for him to use a basketball term, and making it two one. Now, two things on this that I saw. Not just the finish, because the finish was was uh, elementary. It was Luvin appearing to stop sprinting to Gotti Kinda as the pass left Johnny Russell. Now it's debatable if Luvin would have got there in general, but I, I watched this a few times back because I was really curious how this how this really occurred. And on the broadcast, they made a big deal about Akil Watts keeping Gotti Kinda onside after the play. Edu Luvin definitely looked back to the sideline official just to confirm there wasn't an offside call. It really seemed like Luvin was was banking on an offside call, which probably a lot of people were as well. Jaboulu Blum, I'm sure one of them. But on that note, it was really Akil Watts that actually kept Gotti Kenda onside with his trailing. And he received a lot of criticism from Taylor Twelman on the call to not have that awareness to just Mm. take a half step back or whether it was his momentum carrying him forward or thinking multiple responsibilities, you've got Shalvey behind you. Yeah. Kinda looks like he's sprinting up. Do you need to make a move on him? I mean, we're talking about the splittest of second decisions, and it's unfortunate that it just goes that close to Kinda remaining on side, and then Watts having to make that decision of you have to leave Shalvey to go for Kinda, and then Shalvey's left open.
1: Yeah, it's one of those. Yeah, after you watch it on the replay, you see uh, multiple things that could have happened. But going back to the game of the play. Uh, there were um, like two or three second ball opportunities that that City um, ended up not not getting, and uh, same thing as, as last week that uh, the team was losing on those second third ball opportunities. And I saw the same on on that goal. Like John, somebody called out actually, I think it was uh, Doyle. He he said that Johnny Russell before getting finally getting that ball, he touched the ball like three more times. Yeah,
0: and um, our, our friend Chris Gebhardt in the chat is saying how we talked last week about trying to get quantity over quality in some of the shots and creating a lot of those those massive volume opportunities to, to get second chances, to keep the ball in the attacking third. And the way this play started was almost the exact opposite of what we really wanted to see. Where we didn't get those second chance opportunities. We couldn't keep the ball in the attacking third to keep the pressure on the goal, and then we were caught in a counterattack, not necessarily with – uh, players high up but but just the the transition defense and not being able to hold our lines properly and it led to what ended up being the dagger The game wasn't over after that I mean there was definitely deflation out of every single one of the fans I'm sure in the stadium you guys felt that way I know at home it was just the the biggest letdown in, in you could possibly imagine to have that happen but the game progressed we brought in Tomas Ostrak for Akil Watts um, SKC had some subs, one of which was a, a pretty significant injury. It seemed by Daniel Rosero, where it was kind of an odd play in the 85th minute. Salio, I, I think he need Rosero in the face. Um, Rosero kind of went down for a tackle. He looked to trip up Salio coming with both of his feet between his left leg. And then Salio kind of tried to jump over and I guess knee him in the face. I'm not quite sure what ended up happening there, but with the bloody nose and the seeming head injury, uh Rosero was carted off and I mention all that because what happened from there led directly into the next play which is the hope springs eternal play right 86th minute Celio Pompeu does the magic and it all starts with the free kick by Edu Luvin uh this was headed away to Jabulu Blom and in the exact opposite way where we send balls in we hope for second chances this one pans out but in the most unlikeliest of ways when Blom receives the ball away from the Luvin free kick he, he plays it over to the right wing with Salio. Salio has the ball. He pulls it one step back, sets it up with his left foot on an in-swinging ball, sails it past Tim Malia's right side to the left corner, and to the stun of everybody, pulls St. Louis to within one. What did you think of that shot?
1: Oh, my God. What a what a goal. Uh, when I was uh, calling the game, I thought it was a cross, and all of this sudden, like you could see, oh, my God, it's – He's going in and it ended up being a, a golazo. And uh, he was asked post-game if it was a shot yep. or a cross. And I said, yeah, it was a shot. Maybe I didn't intend for that shot to go all the way there, but hey, it happened, <laughs> you know? Yeah, uh, I, I'm, but yeah, I'm glad he
0: clarified that too, because that yeah. was a topic of, of discussion.
1: Yeah, but uh, it, it gave everybody hope uh, because, uh, yeah, it was the... Uh, it was the 86 minute but uh with Rosero's injury and with other uh stoppages that happened during the half I was thinking it has to be at least 10 minutes let's let's hope uh the four official uh shows that and that they saw that during the half and uh, ended up with 12 minutes and, and at more. that point I was like okay it's going to happen uh, another goal and then uh to uh we, we go to the lottery of PKs, and we know that maybe Sporting Kansas, Sporting KC has the upper hand with uh, Team Milia, but anything can happen. But uh, that changed momentum again, definitely. Yeah, and the way that St. Louis had been playing in the second half, where you're
0: having the possession skew massively towards St. Louis, it was the exact opposite, 39-61, to 61, and it ended up being 61-39 to 39, St. Louis possession in the second half. We had more XG than they did. We had... Uh, just a a literal dozen shots with two being on goal in the second half to Sporting's just one shot and one on goal. Like we had so many more opportunities than they did, whether you want to say they were high XG or not. This was the type of game that we needed to see for the full 90 from St. Louis, this volume based approach. And it was clear that the momentum had swung to St. Louis in the second half. You have the stops and starts with the injuries. Uh, The goal comes really late. Unfortunately, and, uh, the, the transition goal was the, the dagger. Like we said, we go to 12 minutes does at least 12 minutes and ended up being 14 or 15 yeah. in stoppage. We had only one shot in that stoppage time. It was a Saleo Pompeyu, 90 plus two from 25 yards out, ended up being blocked. So didn't have any shots on goal, but you know, you, you had that excitement. And I guess if you're looking for a silver lining, you want to be competitive in a match like that. And I felt that Regardless of how we started in the first half, regardless of the lack of offense just existing in the first half, they at least made a run of it. They made a game of it in the second half, and they went out fighting. They went out with their hearts on their sleeves like we hoped they would. Obviously not the result we wanted, but I think this this was it was nice to see this calculated style of play change occurring in the second half and it working. The There's a criticism that Bradley Carnell has gotten throughout the season of some of his tactical approaches, the timings of his subs. And I, I haven't seen anybody look too much into uh, what he could have done differently from a Sam Salio perspective, but doing the, making the sub at halftime and it working as well as it did the, the only problem you could really point to is a lack of finishing. And to that note, I think looking at some of the players overall, one, one stat and one person that you have to look to is Eddie Luvin five shots, none on target, not even, not even, xg related but he didn't have any shots on target some of his uh free kicks were a little wide compared to what you were used to seeing earlier in the season and it's led some of the fan base to wonder how much that injury that kept him out of action in the middle of the season has lingered
1: yeah yeah and um he hasn't been the same after the league's cup break and yeah i i, I wondered that too if maybe the injury um he never fully recovered, but it was good enough to uh, to play. But you can see that it's not the same. And and yeah, like uh, yesterday, some of those shots uh, going like way over the bar or or wide. Even there was uh, at least one corner kick um, that was also uh, bad. So so yeah, I have a feeling there is still something something there. It wasn't the first set from the first half of the season. But um but yeah, at least um I like that that Carnell um put him in, in that 10th role and uh, he had more freedom to to play on office but on offense. But um it didn't it did it didn't pan out in terms of uh shots on target. But um but yeah I like the team um did like uh, basically died fighting, um, was competitive in in that second half, and it wasn't a a lopsided a score like uh, that first game. Yeah, and
0: again, the chat,
1: Billy's Billy's spot on. Salio's banger saved the collective spirit of the fan
0: base. It would have been infinitely more depressing heading into the offseason getting shut out. And yeah, that's that's why we. That's why I want to spend so much time talking about Salio. I said at the end of the game. knee-jerk reaction is Salio needs to be offered a contract extension. And I I think he's up with an option, but regardless, Salio Pompeu should be on this team next year and he should be getting more minutes. Uh, There's, there's a conversation that's starting to occur of how sustainable is the Lutz Bradley Carnell style of play uh, given the drop-off that we saw at the end of the season. And Salio Pompeu has the ability to be that answer. He's going to be a discussion point this off season of his style of play can either bridge that kind of gap between the, the high pressing long ball kind of plays and the verticality to be that explosive playmaker with the ball at your feet and what he can do with that. We saw a lot of, a lot of potential and we've seen glimpses of it throughout this season, uh, but maybe we'll see more next year. And I look forward to that conversation, but another player who showed himself and I, he, he kind of did so just under the radar because there weren't any uh, massive shot creating chances that, that you really pointed to this player is Indiana Basilev. Led the team with nine shot creating actions. We're talking the the beginning of the game with his crosses, We're talking in the second half with his opportunities to Klaus and to Leuven. Uh, he had a shot on he had a shot on off, off target at the 76th minute. Um, he had so much involvement with the ball. And whether you look to the change in the second half, Indian Leuven playing as kind of a double 10 underneath Joaquini, Klaus and and Salio, or wh- or what you want to read into it. I think Indy's uh, Indy's playmaking abilities were further highlighted here, and we've seen that consistently throughout the year. Indiana Vasilev needs to be more involved in the offense. He needs to be higher up on the field. I love his defensive work, but he's too talented with the ball to be given too many defensive responsibilities in a successful team.
1: Yeah, yeah, obviously um when when he was put in that number 6 role uh, at the beginning of the season he 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 learned and uh he was able to uh to play there but uh he's more dangerous when when he's uh on offense uh, so I think that's one of the areas um where maybe uh, and I know we're going to talk more about this uh in another podcast but um I to me that's one of the areas where the team needs to uh look into and, um, maybe have, uh, another reliable number six, whenever it wants to have, a to double, whenever it wants to have double pivot, uh, formation, uh, with Jaboulo But, but yeah, uh, in the, um, in the, yeah, you don't, you don't see that like on the scoreline, but, but yeah, he, he had a good game and, uh, as you said, under the radar, but, um, but yeah, it's just, you, you just think about all the things that, um, didn't happen yesterday, uh, but I'm still happy that um, at the end the team had that great attitude, and uh, it's just um, just one one shot that um, didn't go in, or one chance, one more chance that wasn't created uh, in those 15 minutes after Celio's game, Celius' goal. Mm-hmm. But um, I I really like the way that the team uh, finished the game. You can we could talk for days about some of the player
0: performances and good or bad Klaus the way he played and and the way Sam started Nico's involvement in the second half Tim Parker's opportunities on goal and some of these set pieces uh, the the discussion that Taylor Twelman tried to have at the end of the game of do you want to put Tim Parker in alongside Klaus at the top to have another body in the field yeah he said that
1: and but he was up he was up there um, I, I was, in, in like, moments, for a couple of minutes I was like. Wow, what is Tim Parker doing out there? He stayed high after some of the set pieces. Yeah, he didn't
0: track back. He stayed high to provide a, a big body. But I, I want to end the player conversation with Salio Pompeu. Uh, the, it's not just the goal. It's not just dribbling it with the ball at his feet. It's In one half of play, he was tied for second in shot-creating actions with Balom. He had four. He was second in shots with three to Edu Lubin's five. He was tied first with Leuven, Hebert, and Stroud for two progressive carries of greater than 10 yards towards the goal. He was tied second in the team with Klaus in key passes with two. He was tied first with Klaus for passes into the penalty area with two. So guy who plays for one half, putting himself in a position to be leading the team in all of these categories with all of the the big names that we're used to seeing for the full 90. If you're going to end the season in a way that gives your fan base hope, Salio did it in this game for me.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I, I feel bad that his two goals have been um, in games. The team ended up losing, yeah. but, uh, but yeah, great 45 minutes yesterday. Um, I would love to see more of him next year. He had a, he had a stretch of games where he was a starting or getting minutes as a sub. And then uh, after, um, Some of the guys that were injured came back, Klaus, Leuven. At the same time, uh, the team uh, signed Nukh Torreson. His minutes started to go down. He ended up playing for City 2 for a few games. Um, But I think he proved that he deserves uh, that contract extension and to get um, more minutes next year.
0: Totally agree. Santi,
1: anything else from this game you want to discuss? No, no, I think uh, let's guess let's get past this game uh, let's try to forget about it and I'm sure um, later this week we will have more detail about uh, what's gonna happen with the team and the roster.
0: yeah, we started this episode on as positive as we can get looking back at some of the big accomplishments from city this year. We'll leave you with a hugely positive note as we stated from the beginning, we try to cover more than just city on this pod but soccer in St. Louis as well. And while this weekend was definitely not the result that any of us wanted, we wanted to congratulate the St. Louis University women's soccer team for winning their sixth straight Atlantic 10 championship after defeating LaSalle 3-0 this past weekend. Congrats to SLU and good luck in the NCAA tournament, where they were drawn today as we're recording this Monday as the number six seed and are going to host Indiana in the first round of the tournament. An absolutely amazing accomplishment and continued success for SLU's women's team in Soccer in St. Louis.
1: Okay, and you know what that means? More, more soccer, more opportunities for fans okay. to uh, attend a game. So,
0: I heard a rumor it might be Friday, but don't hold me to that because I don't think the date has been announced yet. Uh, when it is, we'll send it out on Flyover's account because we we love following SLU men's and women's, and uh, this is an exciting accomplishment for them. Santi, this is of course our final Fallout show of the year. I know. Speaking personally, it's been a pleasure and an honor to break down all these matches with you, and I can't wait to be back at it for our four different competitions that City's going to be participating in next year. Starting in February, we have the CONCACAF Champions Cup. We'll have MLS League play that likely starts at the end of February, but that schedule will be announced sometime in December. Then we have the U.S. Open Cup, Leagues Cup, and you never know what else they might announce. We might, we might get something <laughs> else thrown in. You, you really never know what MLS might do.
1: Yeah, no, I, I really, I really enjoy doing this with you and uh, look forward to uh, doing it again next year. For now, this is our last uh, Flyover follow-up. We're going to take a three-month hiatus
0: and don't forget to tune in to Flyover Footy again. This Thursday, we're going to be recording a full season review and breakdown of St. Louis City on their inaugural MLS season. We're going to go as deep as we need to be in all these games um, we've already discussed it. And I think what we're going to do is we'll have this look back at the season and we're going to try to spread out some content going into the off season. So we have a full roster breakdown coming. We have MLS rules. We have before they start to occur in the off season, we'll preview the off season calendar that includes dates for when options need to be extended and confirmed for players who have team options for bona fide offers. When you, uh, offer a new, better contract. For you know all these key offseason dates, we're going to have all of that roster breakdowns, speculation, uh, analysis, everything that we can do this offseason to keep you up with St. Louis City to prepare you for the 2024 season. We love doing it, and we thank you guys so much for being a part of it for listening because we wouldn't be able to do this if you weren't listening. So thank you again for that, Santi. Thanks as always for joining and thanks for doing such an amazing job as a Spanish broadcaster for the team. I know from social media to everything that uh, you've done here and on Thursday show, like you add so much to this community and I can't thank you enough for allowing me to be a part of it with you.
1: Oh man. Thanks so much. Thank you. I, I really appreciate it. That's that's so kind, but yeah, I had really enjoyed uh, this year and um, doing this with you guys doing the Spanish broadcast uh being on uh other shows even other podcasts uh or other shows that cover the league it's been great to to have that experience and I uh, cannot wait to uh do it again but thanks all of you guys uh for listening to us and and all of you guys that are active in the chat uh we we really appreciate that that you guys also provide great input
0: absolutely thanks for joining us on our last fiber fallout fall out of 2023 We'll talk to you soon, and as always, go city. Vamos city.